You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. We got a lot to, to kind of jump into, so would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness and all the ways that you allow us to be reminded of you, that we get to be built up by the singing of brothers and sisters and we get to sing to you and about you and we get to be pointed to your word and we get to sit under it. By your Holy Spirit, would you shape us and change us? Would you do work that only you can? Would you let me be faithful in the way that we point to this text and would you let it change us today and forever. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's not fair. I know that we've all said that. And I know that we've all heard that. And, and when we say that or when we hear that, what we, what we really mean is, by comparison, I feel slighted. Uh, they have what I want or they have what I deserve so we so we cry that's not fair and, and maybe it's true maybe maybe it's not fair and and maybe it's not true but the important thing for us to to know is is we have to know where that comes from when we say that and and even more so I think we have to know where it leads us to when we begin to think that way think about classic kind of movie storylines uh, jealousy grips uh, a girl she rages he dies all right or vice versa we've seen that uh, a million times, and, and when cons- considering high-powered emotions, the emotions that, that kind of uh, take over and, and the emotions that do damage at the top of the list is jealousy, all right? We see it rage, and so there are two types of jealousy, and, and if you look up definitions of jealousy, you'll see two types. The first one is this, feeling or showing envy of someone or their achievements and advantages, okay? Uh, feeling or showing envy, that is wanting what they have of someone or their advantages or, or their achievements. Um, this is kind of envy's emotional fruit is jealousy. The second one is feeling or showing suspicion of someone's unfaithfulness in a relationship. And this kind of has more of an honorable uh, definition but it's really important that we make this distinction because if, if you read the whole of Scripture, y- you would find that, that God is actually called a jealous God. And so we have to understand that there are two types. And, and, and so we see God act in a way sometimes, and we see ourselves act in a way that, that is sometimes uh, righteously jealous. So the first kind of jealousy is, is the bad kind. It really is for the sake of self, where we put ourselves in the center. And the second one is, uh, again, like the, the one that's more honorable and it's for the sake of others, for the sake of, of someone else. And that's what we see God being, uh, being a jealous God because he knows that what we're doing is not best for us. And so, so he, he goes after us the way that, that a spouse would go after uh, a spouse that's being unfaithful. So, so we have to get that. Today we're going to look at uh, the destruction and the danger and the, the pain caused by the first one, the bad type of jealousy. And, and while some things in life, they, they're not fair. That, that is true. 
Um, we have to understand, we have to submit those things to God and know that, that He's good in spite of what's going on around us. Um, but we also have to see that there is a way to navigate those things without being drawn to inflict pain upon others. So kind of the main idea is, is that when jealousy takes root, people suffer. Right? When jealousy takes root, people suffer. And before it extends to those around us, usually it, it begins by hurting our own self. So, so what we'll see in this is, is jealousy often shows up with people that are nearest to us. It's not usually something that's, that's far away or distant relationally. Um, it are nearest us. Um, whether we put our guard down or, or whatever it is, um, it seems like family is the area where, gosh, like, like sin like this seems to, to wreak havoc. And, and speaking of family, this one that we get to look at today, uh, they're, they're a doozy of a family. Um, they, they come from a long line, a super important line, but, but a long line. Um, and, and really what it is, is it's God's family tree. It's our family tree. And, and as we've already looked over the past couple years, all right, I know a lot of you weren't tracking with us at that point, but we've seen 36 uh, chapters of this just kind of jacked up family tree. And we cannot understand even this chapter today uh, without understanding what's going on. So we have to zoom out a bit. There is this thing that's, that's commonly referred to as redemptive history. And what that means is that God is actively making all things new. And, and it started in the beginning of this book, all right? And it goes all the way through to the life that we live here and now, all the way through to the end of days when God makes all things new. Once again, we have to understand that, that these people, they are, they are part of an important family, a family with a long line of hopeful heroes. Uh, in, in fact, God's people have been watching carefully the line of the rescuer. And so even up to this point, there is this kind of like expectancy that carries on throughout the Old Testament until we see Jesus and, and the, the idea is that, that God's people have been watching, waiting for one who would come and who would crush the head of the serpent. So we see in the very beginning, chapter 2, sin comes in. Chapter 3, we see it kind of wreak havoc and we see this hope. And God says there will be one all right? And, and it will come at a cost, but he will, he will bruise and, and he will crush the serpent's head. So they've been waiting for this. Later on, God tells this guy named Abram, and he calls him into a relationship with him. And he says, uh, Abram, that God's going to make his name great. And he says he's going to establish his sons as numerous as the stars. And he's going to establish a kingdom that will be the heir that will rule and reign forever. And so you have to understand that, that that's the context that we find, that, that they're looking forward. And it, and it seems as though that these cats that we interact with today, they were aware enough to know that their dad is the carrier of this rescue gene, right? And it, he doesn't seem like he's the one because he's, he's pretty jacked up. But, but they know that they're the, like the, the promised line. And, and they might look at themselves and say, man, am, am I the one? So, so as we read this, we have to keep this big picture perspective in mind, and, and, and here's why. So they might say, if, 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 if our dad Jacob, also called Israel, if he's a carrier, then man, maybe one of us is that king that's going to rise up and rule forever. 
and, and so we, we have to keep that in mind. There's a lot more going on that we'll see and we'll tease out over time, but, but there is a balance between zooming in real tight uh, and, and zooming out and making sure that we see the big picture. So as we search our own hearts today, as we follow God's promise uh, and God's people, we get to, to draw out of this some sweeping truths about jealousy and what that is and what it does in our own heart. And the first one is this. Jealousy takes root in the heart. Let me show you. Um, as, as David read for us this focal text in, in Genesis 37, we see kind of the, the setup, and then we see uh, Joseph being 17 years old. He was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy, um, uh, and, and he was hanging out with his family, and he gave a bad report of his brothers to his father. Now Israel, remember, also called Jacob, he loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. So if, if you're a sibling, you're already like, yeah, right? There's emotions here because literally everybody seems to know that like, yeah, that's dad's favorite and, and that's just the way that it is. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. They couldn't even say kind words. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream. And, and basically, if you've ever seen the movie Fantasia, and you see these kind of brooms dancing around, I think that's what that's called, Fantasia. Is that right? All right. Thanks, Mark. I love it. Um, so, but, but this is like wheat tares kind of wrapped up, and, and basically Joseph has one, and all the others, they bow down to him. And his brothers are like, ah, uh, don't love that. <laughs> and in fact, they hated him even more because he said these things, because of his dreams. And then, and then he goes on, and he has another dream, and, and this time it's, uh, this is in verse 9, he dreamed another dream, and he, he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream, the sun and the moon, and, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father, his father's like, Joseph, that's, I don't love that, all right? That's, uh, you're telling me that, that, okay, not only your brothers, but now your mom and I, we're bowing down to you. And his brothers, you can imagine they love that. They didn't love it. Uh, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your, your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father, he kept a saying in mind. He said, I'm just going to hang on to that one. Jealousy takes root in the heart. Joseph's, uh, he's, he's benefiting from favor that, that's outside of his hands, and his brothers hate him for it. He's dad's favorite, and everybody knows it. He's the youngest. I remember my grandma, she, she passed away this uh, past summer, but uh, it was me. My brother's three years older than me. My uncle's three years older than him. And so... Uh, I was, I was the baby, and so we would hang out, and they would get in trouble all of the time. And this is what my grandma would say, not a joke. Uh, my brother would laugh if he was listening to this. She would say, leave him alone, guys. He, he's only little, all right? And, and she said that when I was little, and so help me, like, I remember being a teenager, and in her mind, she's like, leave him alone, guys. He's only little. And so what that made my brother and my uncle do is, like, like lash out. I, I remember them, like, hanging my stuffed animals, you know, and, and like, you know, like, this is not cool. I remember a, a Ninja Turtle that I had, and, and I walked into my room, is literally hanging in the room, and I'm like, wait. And so when I try to bring this up, you know, he's only little, leave him be. So that's like, that's what's going on here, and, and I'm sure you've probably 
felt that before. So, so not only that, but he's a snitch. And dad sends him out to come back and give a report. And, and he seems to be pretty vocal about that. Hey, I'm telling dad what's up, and you guys aren't. And so, man, that is, that's not a good thing. Not only that, but he's got a sweet coat that his dad. Now, you, you never hear this when you talk about Jacob, but apparently he's like a master builder, a craftsman of delicate garments, all right? And so he makes this, this technicolor dream coat, and he gives it to Joseph, and everyone wants it, and they hate him for it. They absolutely hate him. Now, God is, is seeming to favor him by giving him dreams and visions, and they're probably like questioning, like, man, you're just saying that, or like, is that for real? Because, gosh, I hope not. All right, and so there, there's just a lot going on, and, and Joseph, uh, we, we don't really get innocence or guilt, but he's certainly bold enough to tell them that these things are happening to him. Maybe you've never felt this way, but, but this is what's really important. Proximity is key. And, and what I mean is, is they live together. Uh, because these felt slights, right? The, the, that's not fair. They compile, and, and frustration adds up. But, but when jealousy is at play, it's frustration that centers around self. And it's not just this kind of pettiness that's easily dismissed or swiped away because it increases the felt void that they have and it amplifies what we want that we don't have. What we want to be that, that we're not or that someone else is. And, and so the seed of jealousy, it is perceived deficit. It is what we think we don't have that those around us have. And so this idea of perceived deficit is super important as we look at what's going on here. And that perceived or that even observed deficit, they, they just know, it's, it's just true that Joseph is their favorite and it begins to define the relationship in a way that they can't get past it. It becomes personal. Which of these would not want to be dad's favorite? Which of these would not want to receive these dreams? And at least even consider, man, am I, am I, am I the one? Which, which of these would, would not want to be the rescuer of broken mankind that God is, is raising up? And the irony is, in their desire and their pursuit for all of that, they actually let the root of jealousy lead them to break their brother, to break one another, certainly to break their dad. So we have to keep in mind, though, that... The seed of jealousy is not them feeling overshadowed. And in your life, it's, it's not that either. It, it's not uh, preferential treatment that, that allows jealousy to sink its roots in. It, it's, it's not your sister having uh, the house that you want or your brother having the family that you deserve or your friend getting the puppy of your dreams or, or the town thinking that your enemy is great. None of that is the root of jealousy. That's all scattered seed. The root settles into our hearts when we process all of those circumstances in unhealthy ways. Those things are going to happen in your life. And that doesn't mean that, that you're just destined for destruction. It's how we process those things. So there's this, this guy uh, called Steve Timmis. And years ago, I heard him say this. Uh, this is a paraphrase, but he said, it, It's okay that, that birds fly above, but don't let them nest in your hair. It's okay that birds fly above, but don't let them nest in your hair. What he's saying is this. It's okay to have a thought. It's okay to feel a sting 
You're going to feel sting. It's okay to have unmet desires. It's okay to have disillusioned expectations. All of those things, they're, they're okay. It's okay to have dashed dreams. It's not okay to let them become permanent residents in your mind. And, and when that happens, jealousy takes root. So just as some kind of reflections for us, some clear signs that jealousy is nesting in your head or, or even taking root in your heart, uh, here's just five real quick, okay? One is, is that your joy is sapped when you're around that person or that thing. So, so we get to evaluate. When, when I'm around them, and you're probably already thinking of people uh, or things or circumstances or childhood stuff or current stuff that, that kind of show up, but, but when you're around this person or thing, you, you, you can't have joy. And so what we see in this, what we're going to see is when Joseph walks up, hey, bros, immediately they see him coming, and they're like, they're, they were like hanging out at like seven and a half, and they're like at 11 immediately when he's there. Uh, the second thing is, is that nothing you have is good enough. And maybe things that were at one point joys in your life now bring you sorrow because you can only see your stuff, you can only see yourself in light of this, this other person or this other thing. Another thing is you can't celebrate their wins and you, you don't mourn their losses. This is one of the primary indicators for certainly just emotional maturity, but certainly spiritual maturity. That, that when, when someone near you walks in and lives the dreams that you've had, can you celebrate with them? When they're devastated by by their dreams being dashed, does that bring you joy or can you mourn with them? Another thing is, is you begin to have a, intense emotions about them or towards them even when they're not around. And this is super dangerous because what's happening is, is those seeds not only have nested in your hair, but they, they, they're becoming uh, rooted into your heart and and what we see here is this jealousy and hatred. They dance really well. And we see this in the brothers. And hatred isn't something that can stay in the head. It, it seeps into the heart. And we become consumed by, remember, what we perceive as something of a, of a deficit or a slight. And at this point, it's, it's no longer circumstantial. <clears throat> if you don't remove the nest, there's only one place that things will go. And that's when, when jealousy takes root. People suffer. Jealousy takes root in our heart, but it, but it doesn't stay there. And that takes us to the second thing that we see from this, and that's that jealousy grows fruit in the hands. Basically, it, it will bring forth action. It's not just some theoretical emotion. It leads to action. And, and so we kind of see this... Um, if you pick up in verse 12, and I'm going to skip around. So basically what's going on in verse 12 <clears throat> is he's looking for his brothers. And then, then we skip down. He, he finds them. Tell me where they are. I think they went to this place. Okay. And then in verse 19, they saw him from afar. Um, and before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So he's far off. They see him walking. Hey, let's just kill him. Real talk. 
brother against brother. Man, I can't stand this guy. Can we just, and, and maybe it started as a joke. Hey, we should just kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then somebody's like, you know, that, no, for real. <laughs> and they're like, uh, is, is he for real? I can't tell if he's for real, like, right? Um, and then, uh, so, so they, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Right, you get it? Sarcastic, snarky, jealous. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into to one of the pits. Then we will say a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Right? And, and, and you might see this, throw him, in, throw him into the pit. What, what now, bro? Where are your dreams at now? And, and just to be clear, I don't know what this pit looked like, but I did watch uh, The Dark Knight Rises yesterday. And, um, and so they're in a desert landscape, and there is this big old, like, huge brick. Uh, it's probably 20 feet wide pit that goes down. There's no water in it, and so it looks similar. But I, I don't think it looked like that. Um, if you've ever been to the Red River Gorge down in, in Tennessee, or down in Kentucky, I'm sorry, uh, you, you climb through this cave uh, that... They don't let you climb in now because you can get bit by bats and some other stuff. Anyway, you climb in there, and, and at the very end of this thing, there's this kind of like real jagged rock, um, and you, you kind of almost need help to get out of it, um, and you kind of have to like shimmy up and all that. In my mind, that's what this thing looks like, and so it's probably somewhere in between. Def- definitely a desert landscape. There's no water in this thing. So, so they say, let's throw them into the, the pit, uh, and, and when that happens, uh, Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him, uh, shed no blood. And so as we're looking for this hero, you're like, Reuben, it literally says he rescues him. And you're like, is Reuben, Reuben's the guy, right? I mean, he's like doing this. And then we see that Reuben does that just so he can save him and take him back to dad and be like, hey, they, like, they were in the pit. Uh, Joseph was in the pit and, and I saved him, dad, look at me. So you're like, ah, maybe not Reuben. Uh, and, never mind the fact that two chapters prior to this, Reuben actually slept with his father's concubine. That's not good, but he is the oldest, and so he feels some personal responsibility for, for Joseph. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. There was no water in it, and I just want you to imagine the emotion just for a second. Right? We don't see what's going on. We don't see him fighting, but eye contact, and bro, what are you doing? And, and, and just being... He got jumped by his brothers, and then literally they throw him into a pit. Can you just imagine what's going on? And, and then to beat all, you know what happens next? They have lunch. Then they sat down to eat, which for me is like the most vile of all the act. And looking up, they saw a caravan, and they saw some people coming, and they were traders, and they said, hey, why don't we... Uh, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill him? Why not sell him and make a little cash? So, so let, him, uh, let us sell him. And, and so that, that happened. They, they sell him uh, for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph uh, to Egypt. Now Reuben, we don't know where he's at. He's in the bathroom, something like that. He comes back and he's like, wait, where's, where's Joseph? And they're like, dude, he's gone. We sold him. Here's your, here's your money. And Reuben, bearing the responsibility, knowing what this means because he's the oldest for his dad, he mourns and he's like, this is not good. And then they, they slaughter a lamb uh, or goat or whatever. They put blood all over it. They, they take it back to their dad and they say, Dad, I, we don't know. Like, is this your son's coat? 
And he's like, yeah. And he weeps and he mourns. Jealousy grows fruit in the hands. And if you consider yourself and the way this stuff plays out, you'll see an increased in intensity of emotion. And the problem with broken humanity is that intense, intense emotion like lust and anger and hatred and jealousy, it doesn't sit in neutral very well. We can't just sit on it. It's either increasing or it's decreasing. It, it doesn't just sit in neutral very well. It will either explode to the surface like, like lava in a volcano or it will be subdued by something. It's fruit that we see here. We see several things. Um, what is, what is the, the fruit that, that shows up in, in these guys' hands? The fruit of alienation. They eliminate what they thought was the obstacle in their life, Joseph. Alienation shows up in the same way for us, that these brothers, they're vying. It embellishes their void every time they see them. When we live in jealousy, it begins to show up in ways that tear down the object that we think has what we deserve. And so for them, that's the coat, and that's the dreams, and that's why we keep seeing these things showing back up. And every time, it's a trigger for them that just escalates. They sold their brother. We see Reuben vying against Joseph. Then we see him vying against the rest of his brothers. We see brother against brother. We see brothers against dad. We see all of them against God. And the crazy thing is, is both their dad and their God are, are the ones they're actually trying to impress. They, they fail. And so the way this fruit of alienation shows up is, is when you're four years old and you say, Mom, he did it. <laughs> she did it. It's, it's, it's tattling as a child. Or, if I may, use another office uh, reference. Um, I think I did that the last time that I preached, but this is, it, it's, it's worth it, all right? Uh, there's this guy in the show, The Office. His name is Michael Scott, and he's the boss. And there's this other guy. His name is Dwight Schrute. He's assistant to the regional manager. There's this other guy. His name is Andy. All right, and Andy and Dwight, they're always kind of competing, and at one point, Andy tells Michael, the boss, he says, hey, you know, remember the other guy's name is Dwight Schrute, and, and Andy's super jealous of Dwight, and, and Andy tells Michael, the boss, he says, um, you know, whenever somebody does something just bonehead, stupid around the office, we say they pulled a Schrute, right, which is the last guy of the other... The, the last name of the other guy. And so what he's doing is he's saying, like, Michael, whenever somebody does something stupid, that's Dwight Schrute. That's the other guy, right? And that, that's so stupid, but gosh, we do that. When we're gripped this way, we begin to alienate, and, and, and the fruit of alienation shows up. But, but it doesn't stop there. We see in this the fruit of deceit. They fabricate lies. There's theatrics, and there's... there's fake blood, uh, or real blood, or, or fake Joseph's blood, and, and uh, hey, Pops, is this your son? Of course, they know that that's Joseph's coat. They know that it's going to uh, be deceitful, and they know that it's going to hurt, and, and it shows up the same way in us. We begin to connive and deceive so that we might be looked at the way that they're looked at, or to get the things that they have or that, that we want. In this sense, it's, it's a new day, but it's the same tools that we use, that these, these brothers use. And, th and then we see the fruit of pain. All right, imagine Joseph's pain. 
he's the youngest brother, and, and what I know about that, it means that he wants the affirmation of his brothers more than anything else. And he goes about it in a way that's whatever. But finally they turn on him. And he knew it was true, but, but then it shows up in the physical. They throw him down the pit, and they look, and, and, and whatever. And, and he knows, man, this is painful. We see it with the dad's pain that the, that the brothers bring about. And, and maybe even if any of these brothers have a conscience, when they lay down at night, they think, gosh, that was not good. How did I, how did I get drawn to do that? Pain shows up in us in, in the same way, and we let the lies or even truths rob us, and then we rob others. And it, and it doesn't usually uh, in my life or maybe in your life lead to physical murder or, uh, or, or selling family members into slavery. It doesn't usually lead to that in the physical, but certainly we inflict pain and abandonment and, and unreconciled relationships, even those who... Who, who live in the name of Jesus. We're all drawn into these things. Jealousy doesn't start in the hands, but believe you me, it, it ends up there. And like a friend of mine said recently, sin is savage. And we see that actually happening right here. There's this guy, James, and, and he wrote another letter in the New Testament. And he helps us... He, he helps us unravel the stuff that's happening around here. I want to read James 1, 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. This is super important because we have to understand that God is writing redemptive history. God is allowing this stuff to happen in Joseph's life. Okay? So, so, so God could stop this. God, God could throw the brothers in the pit and let Joseph stand on top and, and spit on him, right? He could do that, and he doesn't. So, so we have to understand that when, when we're tempted, when we see Joseph or, or any of these guys being tempted, God is, is driving the past and the present and the future, but, but all of this allows God to carry out his redemptive history that we get to walk in today. James goes on, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And that's what we observe in these brothers then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. All right? That's the nesting. It's taking uh, root in our minds, and it, and it grips our hearts. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is the consuming part. It, it's breeding, and it's, and it's roots, and it's, and it's fruit. And all this stuff is, is really dark. But there is some upside. And, and if all this is true... We can counter these, these jealous roots bef before they take root and, and certainly before they grow fruit and, and this type of fruit. Jealous thoughts will fly over, but, but we don't have to let them nest in our head and, and we don't have to let them take root in our hearts so we get to, to fight against those things. Here's a starting point to consider that the story for Joseph, it doesn't end here. Um... The story for redemption, it doesn't end here. Your story, wh wherever you find yourself in light of this, it, it doesn't end there. The third thing that we get to, to see in, in light of all this is that jealousy withers through new hearts and clean hands. 
if you have a place of your own, if you have a home, if you have a yard, you have, you have weeds, and you, you probably hate them, and there's um, little as satisfying in, in my summer days than spring weeds with Roundup or whatever toxic spray that I'm using, and uh, trying not to breathe that in, and, and what, what, what we see is, is you can almost feel the weeds starve uh, of its proper nutrients and be drowned by its impending demise, and, and, and a few hours go by, or a day or two goes by, and then the thing, it turns brown, it, it shrivels up, it withers, and it dies, and, 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 and everyone said amen when that happens. You can't spray it on the flower, you have to spray it on the root because the root's what sucks up the poison and ultimately that's what kills it, right? Um, if jealousy grows like, like a weed, if it does it, we have to do this. And uh, famously, John Owen says, uh, be killing sin or else it will be killing you. And when we look at jealousy, man, we have to understand that, that that's a real thing. That, that if you're not actively fighting against this stuff in your life, it will be actively fighting against you. So, so be killing it, else it's going to be killing you. So we don't see resolve here. In fact, the last verse is, is meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. That's the cliffhanger for today. Right? Joseph gets sold, and we don't even know what that means. Is that good news? Is that, we have no idea at this point. That's the cliffhanger. But, but what we'll see is that life goes on and, and, and we'll see lengthy unfolding of, of his life and of all these kind of key players and we'll see twists and turns and, and the expected and the unexpected and pain and healing and death and life and famine and surplus and highs and lows. And in this dude, Joseph's life, we will see lots and lots of lows. <laughs> and at this point, you may be trying to resonate and consider where you fit in the story. That's that's natural. That's okay, right? You, 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 you hear a good story uh, and you kind of like resonate with, with one or more of the characters. And, and here's the thing. We'll say this many, many, many times. And I don't know how you've kind of seen this in the past. I don't know how you've heard this preached in the past, but, um, but, but we're not Joseph. And, and Joseph, he isn't Jesus. But this living word reveals both us and the long-awaited true hope to overcome all that's broken. It, it points us to the, the one true snake crusher and kingdom builder. See, most of us desire to align with the good guy, in this case, the victim, the innocent Joseph. And, and whether he's our counterpart in life or not, most of us would be like, yeah, that's, I've, I've felt that way. I've felt people demonstrate alienation. I've felt people inflict pain, and, and, and I hate that, right? And, and I get that. We're all in search of, of heroes, and if we're honest, just like these guys, we all want to be the hero. This is what they've been lining up for, and this is what they've been like uh, telescoping ahead and, and, and looking for and searching under rocks for this hero. And if I'm being honest, this, this particular chapter is, is just super tough to look at. It's super tough to look at the nature of, of humanity in this. And if I'm being even more honest, it's, it's tough to look at what it reveals. See, the hope in this is not that they would turn and embrace their brother. 
It's not that they would be like, ah, man, I, I hate that. Let's get him out of the pit. Or, or it's the hope in this is not that, uh, that as they're telling their dad, a wagon would go by and Joseph would pop out and he'd be like, just kidding, dad, right? That's not the hope that we see in, in this text. The greater hope is that they, that we would not have void that takes root in us, that leads us to be gripped by jealousy, or that leads us to let emotions spill into alienation and deceit and pain and harm. And for us, who has the hindsight of this entire book to look at, which they did not have, we have the revelation of the greater hope the one they were looking for, or maybe they were even looking to be, is also the same one that we know and have access to today. He is the one that withers the root of our calloused hearts, and his name is Jesus. And he frees us from our desire to have what isn't. And he enables us to celebrate when others win and to mourn when others hurt. And he enables us to declare that's not fair. And then let us turn and, and engage where we can when injustice is, is visible and trust God when there's nothing that we can do. Jesus, he had everything anyone could ever want he was the prized son from the beginning of anything that ever was, eternity past. And when creation came to be, he was, he was the one that brought about, and all of creation was him, uh, was his. And in the perfect love of his father, not just his father, but the father, the father of the universe, was his and his alone. And the, the, he, he, Jesus being the heir of his father's kingdom, he was clothed not in a new robe, but in robes of righteousness, and he earned the right to be the favorite. No one like him in righteousness and selflessness and sacrifice, and in him was no sin at all. And what he did for us to change the way that we live our lives is he clothed himself in our failure. And he smeared our alienation all over himself. And he wrung out our deceit. And he poured it upon himself. And, and, and he bore the weight of all the pain that we inflicted so that we might be lifted up. So that we might be esteemed by his Father, the Father, God the Father. So that we might be clothed in Christ's garment of righteousness. And he didn't do it because we were lovely. He did it while we were unlovable. And it is the life of Christ and his, and his humble work that frees us to walk void of all void by giving us unending, overwhelming, timeless, never ceasing, always and forever love and the affirmation of God the Father. And he doesn't do it at the expense of our brothers and sisters so that we might be lifted up and that they might be cast down, but he, but he does it in a way that allows us, brothers and sisters, to be fellow heirs of all of the riches of God. And the thing is, Jesus isn't just a role model that we look at and we say, gosh, he did it, and we didn't do it. How am I ever going to do that? When we get him, we trust the grace that he offers us he gives us new hearts. He gives us clean hands. 
to slay jealous roots and to live free, to be full in, in all that we have and all that we don't. And he frees us to love perfectly and completely those around us. When jealousy takes root, people suffer. But when we embrace the new hearts given us in Christ, we are liberated to live with clean hands. So we get to respond today to God's word, and we get to reflect, we get to consider, and we get to, to repent, and we get to, to respond, and we can do that in, in several ways, right where you are. Right? You can talk to God right where you are. In just a couple minutes, the band's going to come up. You can stand up and you can sing. Right? There's a prayer bench over there. We would love to pray with you at either of these red trees and bear any burden that you have to talk about this stuff or anything else. We can respond by, by remembering and declaring Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was spilled for us by, by taking of the bread and of the cup. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for this. Holy Spirit, would you let it undo us and sever roots? Would you let it turn rotten fruit into good fruit? Would you let us be changed as we just look at this messed up chapter and we know there are many more to come? Would you let us see rightly the intentions that you have? Are you brought these people through these circumstances so that you might give us life, that you might establish a kingdom that never ends and that you might invite us into that to build that kingdom. Today, would you let us trust you above all else? Those that, that suffer and struggle with, with these things and, and jealousy and, and hatred and, and tension, would you today let us live free? because of what you offer us in Christ alone. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.